Creative Zombie Studios presents the Subjective Comedy Podcast with Brad Scott. Brad Scott is a mediocre comedian from Indianapolis. This is his show. If you don't think it's funny, remember, comedy is subjective. Hey, it's Brad Scott. This week's episode of the Subjective Comedy Podcast is brought to you by DIY Jokers. DIY Jokers is a comedy collective started by myself, Brent Trahune, and Dave Landau. And now, we got merch. You can pick up t-shirts and hoodies at teespring.com slash stores slash DIY jokers. Get angry redneck merch, the man Dave Landau merch, or single dad merch. Also, we just put out the transparent and trans kid shirts and hoodies. That's teespring.com slash stores slash DIY jokers. I think you're really gonna like this episode. If you thought the past year of subjective comedy was way too heavy on the Brad Scott, you know, it was a lot of one-on-one interviews, and if you thought that's just too much Brad, well, we fixed it. I'm proud to say that going forward, I'm gonna be joined by co-hosts every week, a favorite from WrestleMania, and from a couple of uh, early subjective comedy episodes, Fresh Produce, Mark Biddy, is now joining me on the show, along with a few of my friends, Dan West. Dan West is a very, very funny comedian from South Bend, Indiana, and as we learned on this episode, a bit of an alcoholic, so moving forward, he is drunk Dan, and he is wonderful. Also, from Red Curb Comedy in Avon, Indiana, my home club, Finch. He's an improv comedian with a military background. That's all you need to know. And probably my first mentor in comedy, the coolest guy I've ever known, Rob Harris. Yes, he's black. Yes, we felt in this climate we had to bring him on. He is hilarious, insightful, and one of the smartest people I've ever known. So enjoy, moving forward, the dawn of a new era, the Subjective Comedy Podcast, yet again, reinvents itself. Hope you enjoy the episode. And remember, if you don't think it's funny, comedy is subjective. If you have followed this podcast all the way from the My Way podcast, good for you because that podcast name is so douchey, I would have never given it a chance. But Subjective Comedy has evolved through the years. It started off as a podcast started by myself and Corey Miller, who's my former co-host on The Showdown, where I just gave away all my personal life and thoughts about uh, comedy, and it evolved into a one-on-one interview show with comedians and people I found very interesting. And one thing that I found very interesting, uh, Fresh Produce, do you know what that was? Um, No. That I'm not a great one-on-one interviewer. (laughs) I'm barely a podcaster and I'm barely good at speaking. And I wasn't, I wasn't quite myself. I wasn't, it wasn't as fun as when I used to do the showdown and when I used to do WrestleMania. So, I wanted to get back to that that old spirit, you know, a group dynamic. Uh, I wanted to bring in some help. Basically, I'm lazy and I don't <laughs> want to have to do 
all the work. So I wanted to, to form kind of a super team. I'm not going to say it Justice League because hopefully we'll, we'll fare better in the ratings. So a super <laughs> team. I wanted to put together a super team of co-hosts that I thought would, would fit well together. And they're basically people that I find very funny and, and engaging and entertaining. And they're very special people in my life. You being one of them, which I know is surprising. <laughs> but uh, if you don't know Fresh Produce, his name is Mark Biddy. He took over for uh, Big Time Brent when he left the WrestleMania podcast. And he's been a producer of mine in so many different things. He was uh, the main person helping me with my single dad <laughs> quote unquote special recording which by the way I now have the footage congratulations uh, thank you oh, uh, $1,500 later to six, have my four, biggest failure five, five months documented <laughs> five months later yep so I'll be going through that to see if I could just piece together you know seven minutes of useful content <laughs> um, but it was worth it so anyways uh, Tell them a little bit about yourself, Mark, and introduce yourself to maybe some of the audience who doesn't know who you are. Um, so I stumbled across WrestleMania when I was working on Third Shift, and my my whole thing, like getting involved in all of this, was just tweeting dumb shit at 3 o'clock in the morning because I knew you and Brent would respond because no one else was. Yep. And then um, that, our hours. Then when Brent left and... Uh, and like, I stopped listening. And Corey was there, um, I just continued tweeting dumb shit about WrestleMania and ran into you at a couple of comedy shows. Yeah, um, the one when I opened up for J Ron, Ron, Jeremy. Ron Jeremy and my my high school ex-girlfriend was there. That's right. And that, I tried to figure out ways uh, <laughs> to make her miserable. Correct. And then you were there, I think, my last night of Crackers. I was. Uh, me, I mean, and, me and my sister both were. Named after a snack food. Correct. Um, Triscuits, I believe, is what Prices. they call it. Um so uh, then, you know, I did one episode of the showdown and one episode of WrestleMania and then just kind of took off from there. And um, I, th I think I did the math last night when you were when you were talking about it on uh, Pops and the Recon. Um, my hourly rate for your special is about ten thousand dollars worth of work at my hourly rate. <laughs> well, it took the camera crew of WFYI three months to get $1,500 combined <laughs> out of me. So, I mean, I wouldn't start, like, putting down payments. Okay. But, Mark, I feel like you and I are a strong team. We work well together. We have a good chemistry together. We feed off each other. But we're not enough. We're I, definitely not enough. I agree, because I get very angry sometimes. You get very angry. <laughs> like, when trying to figure out how we were going to record this episode of the show in the last five minutes. Yeah, and, but we're here. We are here. And if, if history's taught us anything, none of this is going to be acceptable or useful, <laughs> and we're just going to have to redo it. But that, I, I had to turn to uh, the world of comedy. Because I am not a comedian. You are not a comedian. So I turned to the world of comedy, and this guy is a good friend, and he's an outstanding comedian. Uh, commands a room. That's uh, why when I had to go into that hellfire and brimstone of a show in Franklin, Indiana, a few months ago, <laughs> I, uh, I called upon him to, to tame the beast that was Franklin and be able to, to have that command because I've always felt that's an underrated skill as a comedian. I have a good, I, I have, it basically you could be loud and obnoxious. He is Dan West. Dan, tell the that people about the you because they don't know who you are. <laughs> uh, my name is Dan and yeah, the, I don't know. I, I drink. Uh, <laughs> it's just like my main skill set. Uh, You're very good at it. 
I am so good at it. As I learned in Franklin, how good yes, you were you at did. drinking. Yes, you did. And then, like, I figured it was safe to drive home after all those drinks. Cause David was in the car, and of the two of us, he was going to be the one that was going to get in trouble. <laughs> David, like, he's talking about David Brooks, who is a black comedian. Um, and he's, he's on house arrest. It's his own fault for getting behind, or getting in the car with drinking. <laughs> Dan West, he's drunk now. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I ho- you know Dan that that might that I think needs to be uh, become your character is you're just the drunk guy on every episode. Like I don't think I I'm gonna give you My a breathalyzer. Ep- yeah, I'm gonna give you <laughs> I'm gonna give you a breathalyzer ev- before every episode. And if you're not above the legal limit, and I don't mean that point away pussy shit. I mean if you are not. Uh, above a blackout limit, then uh, you can't. I don't think we can have you on the show. If if your car would start, you can't be on the show. If you think it would, that prob- seems fair. If you think if you have the sense to think it would be a bad idea to drive, you're not going to be on the show. I only want the Dan West that says, "Well, hold on, I've got to get behind the wheel." That's the one. I want the one. You're so drunk that you think driving is a good idea. That's the Dan West I want week in a week out. Yeah, I, I can absolutely commit to that. Like, I can't commit to a lot of things, but that I am fucking on board. We found your wheelhouse, didn't we, buddy? <laughs> we did. Now, uh, Mark, Dan, we're, we're a good group here, but uh, one of us is obnoxious and loud. One of us is uh, angry, and one of us is going to be blacked out and not have a clue where he is. So we, we probably need uh, probably need somebody who's good on their feet. Yeah. Um, somebody uh, who's, who's very good at, uh, at at getting a joke, taking a joke, like very good at just fitting in with with kind of the spirit of this show, which some would would claim about thirty percent was stolen from the Dan Levitard show. I arg- argue with that, and I think it's probably closer to thirty five. But yeah, at least uh, I, I've been a, a big part of Red Curb comedy, and I came across this gentleman. Um, I assumed he was security. He informed me he was actually talent. Um, I've yet to see that talent, but hopefully I'm now giving him the platform to do so. He is Finch. Finch, how are you, buddy? me. Oh, I'm great. I've uh, not drank as much as Dan tonight, but I'm definitely imbibing a bit. There you go. Definitely what? Imbibing. it's, It's a word that means drinking. Oh, okay. Uh, there goes Dan. Uh, already, he's just—he's making noise with his microphone. He's taking off out of the—he's disappeared. Dan has wandered off. I think it's going to start his car, so he's actually nailing his Do role to, on the show. Do we need to issue a silver alert? Is this the problem? Is a silver alert? Yeah. The problem is he's already broke the seal. So. Oh, so he just peed in the corner. Oh no, he went and got the hard stuff. <laughs> he went and got. God damn it, Dan! I love you so much. So look, I have. Hold on, break the fourth wall. Dan Finch, Mark, and I recorded a rehearsal episode. I felt like Dan hadn't quite, you know, Dan was waiting to find to kind of pick his moments. He was a little reserved. Finch jumped right in, and I was like, you know, I was like, Finch really won me over. Finch, get the fuck out of here. There's a new sheriff in town. Dan, so you didn't didn't tell us what you were doing, which was perfect. You just disappeared loudly out of the frame. (laughs) And we were like, oh, he's going to try to drive. He's getting it again. But no, you came back with a bottle that looks like it came off a pirate ship. uh, And it doesn't even have a, it's not even like 
you know, uh, Captain Morgan, it's just three X's oh, on the bottle. This is fantastic. This is it's my brand new favorite corporate. bourbon. It's uh, from Starlight Distillery. It's a local Indiana bourbon. It's uh, Carl T. Huber's signature. It is my new favorite bourbon. I got it recently, and I love this shit, <laughs> and they should sponsor us because – I'm giving them free advertising, and I'm going to get real drunk on it tonight. He's <laughs> really he drunk. Like as, the free bourbon. He's really drunk. As nobody tell him it's an audio medium only. So his plug with the <laughs> bottle up to the camera. I mean, <laughs> plug it away. It, it was a beautiful. I'm going to clip that out of this recording. It was beautiful. That, <laughs> and him leaving. Yeah, it was great. All right, Fitch, tell <laughs> tell the people about yourself. Uh, so I started doing improv comedy uh, a few years ago. And uh, I just kind of kept doing it everywhere I move. I move every couple of years. So I've lived overseas and, and all sorts of different places in the U.S. And uh, uh, so I found Red Curb and I met you and the, the stars aligned. And I got this really funny feeling in my stomach. And then you said, let's do a podcast. I think that means you have to quarantine for 14 days. And, that, and you, you move every couple of years. Witness protection. Or yeah, that's why I only have one name, Finch, because there's no other stuff to it. And he doesn't have a job. Everybody, I want to make that clear. He doesn't have a job. He will never have a job as long as he's on this show. And Dan, don't you get so drunk that you? I have a feeling one day Dan's just gonna get so drunk. He's just that's all he's get. His only contribution when we're talking about, uh, you know, maybe Chris Rock or Chappelle comes out the new special, and Dan's just gonna start fil- filtering the questions of Finch about work. All right, so um, I wouldn't have until you put the idea in my head. Shit! Now look, now, go, now look. So we learned last week that the four of us were pretty good. We had yeah. a, we had good chemistry. It was a pretty good show, but something felt like it was missing. What would that be? We're really white. <laughs> this is a really white show. This is like the Seinfeld of podcasts. No, no, no. This is the friends of podcasts. <laughs> and so uh, I was searching and I thought, who can not only give us diversity, but who's going to give us a strong voice? Probably also need uh, some strong muscle because I like to get myself into trouble with my mouth and I need protection. <laughs> And a guy who's protected me since I started coming. This guy, by the way, is the only person on this show who has seen me uh, as a comedian when I was trash. Insert joke of what I mean last week. No, uh, real trash. Like starting out, didn't know what the fuck I was doing. He is the guy that helped me meet Christopher Kid Reed, which become a three part saga, and we had an adventurous, amazing night. He's one of my favorite human beings in life. Uh, he's a fellow single dad. He's one of the best human beings I've ever known. He's one of the funniest people I've ever known. And more importantly, he's black. So we have now <laughs> become a diverse show. He's Rob Harris. How you doing, Rob? I'm good. Um, great thing is my middle name is Franklin, just like the only black character on Peanuts. So um, I'm filling my role perfectly. That's my beginning. And I'm former comic. That's the only way I can say it that loves to hang out with, uh, that loves to be around comics. I still love that energy. And uh, I, t- I talked about this before we started recording. Um, my best friend, uh, Terry Cody, uh, who passed away from cancer a year and a half ago. Thanks for bringing him up. He and I used to... I mean, we idolized Rob when we were uh, starting out, and this may sound strange to some people, but he was 
we we were adults. I'm going to remind you that before I say this. He was the coolest guy we ever fucking knew. <laughs> like he was just the he's his his drinks always matched his outfit. He taught us, this. <laughs> and we used to say Rob was happy dude. He would he would come up out of nowhere. We'd be standing in the lobby talking. He would come up, drop some fucking knowledge on us, and then just walk away. We couldn't respond. We didn't need to respond. It wasn't about us responding. It was about us absorbing. And I did. I learned so much about how to carry myself off stage. Uh, from Rob. Unfortunately, he moved away and I just forgot it all and started into a shit spiral. But I mean, the first few years, like it was just it was, Rob, you remember the old days at uh, a local comedy club named after a snack food. Uh, when did you leave? You mean the one named after uh, white people in Indiana? Yes. Uh, that's right. yeah. <laughs> the one named after this oh, podcast. <laughs> when did I curse out the um, then manager or general manager, now owner. Um, that's when I left. Yeah. He is the coolest her. guy we've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. The night I cursed her out in the lobby uh, in front of an inc incoming audience is the, is like when I left. So like 2004, 2005. Yeah, that's 2004. Legend. This, no, this is incredible, Rob. I did learn from you because that's the way <laughs> I left as well. <laughs> I but I found out that's the way everybody leaves. Yes, like yeah. I didn't do anything new. I was just like, "This is perfect. People are going to see this." <laughs> I, <laughs> as is tradition. <laughs> so this is amazing because I've never been so happier for people to. Usually, it's Josh Springer telling me not to say anything bad about anybody. You can't say anything bad about Hitler because you just don't want to be the guy that says negative things about people. The fact that you guys are embracing <laughs> it's a slippery slope. It's heroin for me. Let's talk about my dating life. No, 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 stop. <laughs> Um, Hitler so, is also the logo for that comedy club whose name we will not speak of. That's right. That's why it probably <laughs> popped into my head subconsciously. Uh, so the show is always evolving. And now uh, I feel the five of us are, are, are a good squad. We're a good group. And uh, most importantly, if one of us is missing, none of us are good enough that anyone should probably notice. <laughs> so um, not only is the show evolving from here on out with the structure change, it actually evolved from literally two days ago. Correct. As to what we were going to talk about. <laughs> we we had planned, uh, we all watched the Seinfeld uh, Netflix special. We sure all, definitely all did. What? Uh, what That's is it? Yes, 100% of it. <laughs> Damn, we excuse you. As long as you can just recall the, the you know, the, the fading memories, you're good. Uh, what was this? How bad does something have to be for me to hate it when I... Damn! Don't give it away. Remember, we're not talking spoilers. About <laughs> what is Seinfeld's uh, special called? The new one. Twenty three. Twenty three hours, to, hours kill. to kill. So we were to, we watched twenty three hours to kill. We were going to talk about that. He's getting destroyed, much like on this podcast. Uh, in uh, <laughs> there's a it's it's fifty fifty, but for it feels like for Seinfeld that's a big number to even have fifty percent not like it. But we wanted to transition that into clean comedy versus blue comedy. And then she had some other things. But last night, I became just completely intrigued with something different. And so we are shelving those. So you'll have to wait to hear our thoughts on all that. It'll probably be the next episode. Uh, last night, I was uh, looking around on Facebook and I came across a live stream someone was sharing. And uh, give me the name of no, but the name of the George Floyd. George Floyd, yes. Uh, we're all very familiar with the incident involving George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, it, I've, I've 
definitely referred to as left. I think of myself as more of an independent in the middle. I like to think each subject out on its own. And I feel like I also try not to be one extreme or the other. But if I was labeled by anything generalized, it would be liberal and left. And, it, and it's weird that it feels like to be progressive or liberal left is what what they call you when you understand the fact that black people in this country have been being murdered by the police. And it's not just that it's happening. It's that there's no repercussions afterwards. Right. And or the repercussions that do happen are not good enough. Exactly. Or bad enough. Or, you know, they're not strong enough, strong enough. Yeah. I mean, and that, it's a thing as of right now, those officers have lost their job. I, was overheard making an inappropriate comment at Best Buy when I worked there, and I have the same punishment as that officer did for killing him, and that's insane. And it's a thing where you're waiting on it, right? We're all waiting on when uh, comes in the news that he had, you know, uh, a, a suspended license charge years ago, and somehow that is supposed to justify. There's all these things that keep getting added around these incidents, but if you watch that video, this is one that's just. It's you can't be on the other side of the fence. There is no other side of the fence. And so unfortunately, because the action that followed that wasn't justice, there has now been rioting. And Andrew Mercado is a resident of Minneapolis um, who happened to, to live stream most of the rioting. And we're talking from pre like before it got going when it was just, it was just people protesting. protesting to when it was the full thick of it i mean surrounded by burning buildings correct uh almost looked like a movie at times didn't look real because while we've we're aware that there's been rioting in this country you know for years we've never had this kind of a uh firsthand look and perspective uh at it so i wanted to i wanted to talk about these live streams i want to talk about this whole situation you know, the person I wanted to go to to talk about this because I want to get perspective because I know he's very big into uh, uh, you know social justice has terrified. Thank God, Rob. Okay, uh, did your power just go out? <laughs> well, since this isn't going to be on video, I figured I can go ahead and turn lights down and just get comfortable. No, <laughs> you are. But in, in getting comfortable, you fucking made me so uncomfortable because the subject matter I was talking about, I was like, wait, did, a, did the black guy just, did I say something wrong? God damn it. Already. I was like, what the hell? Because you, you, you just disappeared and your stream went down. You wouldn't even have video of you. And I was like, oh, shit. Because I was trying, I was setting up because I wanted to go to you because, uh, and not just because you're black, but because I know you as a person and I know that you are not afraid to speak out on social issues and honestly i do think that a lot of these issues because like let's not talk about this one specific issue right now i think we the four of us need to do what more white people in this country need to do when it comes to this issues we need to listen and i want to get your perspective on just what it's like being black in this country and when you see these type of incidents comes up what how does it make you feel and what kind of you know uh emotions everything does that does that bring out of you well, the funny thing is, like, when people talk talk to me or ask me about um, me and comedy now, is I just tell people I'm like I'm I, I'm Dick I'm Dick Gregory before I got on television. Um, so like Dick Gregory got famous. He was the hot comic and decided he wanted to get into social issues. So 
while I was on the road, when my name finally started to like pop up and I was getting bookings, I wanted to go work on the South side of Chicago with kids. And so I quit everything in comedy. And so what I do now, I work in education nationally, specifically around race equity and race issues. And before COVID hit, um, the trip, the plane I was about to get on before my organization said we're not okay in travel right now was to Minneapolis. I've been doing race equity work in Minneapolis for over a year now. Um, so to see it happen in Minneapolis, the conversations I've been having, the conversations uh, I'm still having with people in Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, I work with a lot of different school districts in the state of Minnesota. Um, so professionally, it's like this was coming. This was coming in Minneapolis. This was coming. Um, it's. I think it's going to come to Indianapolis, um, but I'm, it was coming. That's what everybody was saying. Now, as far as a black person seeing this, you have to think like, so when this video came out, we just came out of the, ish, the um, incident here in Indianapolis a couple weeks ago. We had just came out of the video. You know, so as a black person, you're just seeing like constant footage of people killing people that look like me. As a human, it's like, who does this to another human? Like, how far can you, like, I've been in a ton of fights. I've been a bouncer. I've worked in law enforcement, uh, pre-trial release. Like, I've been physical. There is a point where I'm like, that's enough. And so I just think as a human, you just kind of go, you know, how do you go that far? As a black person, you just kind of get this message. And it's a constant message that, you know, it's almost kind of like you're trying to get pushed back in your place. But to take it back to Minneapolis and everything that's going on right now, um, it's funny because Minnesota has this thing that you've all heard called Minnesota Nice. Yeah. And, yeah. and somebody described it to me perfectly last year. He said, Minnesota Nice, what it is is we will show you the directions like, if you ask us how to get someplace, so we will show you the directions. If we don't know you, hey, cheer, take my number, text me, make sure you got there okay. We will give you the directions to any place you want to go except for my home. Like, I will, like, once we start, once you want to start getting close to my home, like, no, nah, I'm, I'm no longer nice to you anymore. So Minnesota nice is all a front, you know, so and it's just something that they've had to deal with. Um, so I don't want to get on the soapbox right now, but like just like top of like top of mind that's what's that's what i'm thinking well it feels like i i said right before you abandoned me and scared the hell out of everyone on the show um, <laughs> i feel i feel like with uh, a lot of these incidents there usually ends up becoming some sort of angle or some sort of little thing that can be dissected and, pull, and pulled around to where it could cause maybe even a small seedling of doubt as to if the situation happened to go the way that every eyewitness said, you know, like that's, that's usually what that side latches onto. And in this one, I mean, so it, with the case of the, uh, in Indianapolis, he's running from the police. The jogger in Atlanta was on a, was supposedly on a property. You know what I mean? Like these things get brought up that, that give a certain group, a seed of doubt to plant. This one, I think, was one of the very first incidents where everyone that watched it just went, no, this is just murder. So, Rob, do you, why do you think that maybe, like, they, there wasn't, why they would have taken this opportunity to, to actually give justice? Like, I mean, 
black people have been have been crying for years. If police officers are going to shoot white people, they, just, they have to be held accountable. This is the easiest one to do that with. All the other incidents, they could have played another side of it and created some sort of, you know, seed of doubt. Why do you think they didn't actually go for it on this one where it was just so clear that the officers are in the wrong and the officer, it's murder? I mean, that's, I mean, you just named it. So my brother is a police officer. Um, over 20-something, oh, we, we lost somebody. Um, over 20-something years on the force in Gary. Um, has gone through FBI, uh, Quantico, um, hell of a cop. His thing is, in the videos in the past, he's always like, I need to see the whole video. As a detective, I want to see the whole video. I don't I don't need 15 seconds. I need to, in this case, you have the entire video. It's the entire video. So regardless of what narrative you can paint, and I think like everybody on here that's in comedy, you can think about like a club that won't hire you. And there's like in there certain certain owners and certain managers and you can't break through. And the reason why you can't break through is because somebody created a narrative about you and you can't change that narrative. You know, so like if you oh, can take I, a, I that, understand yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's like once people can understand, like, you know, how is that? Fe- how does that feel like this person was killed? But now all of a sudden people are trying to say, well, he was this way and he was that way to create a narrative. As comics, you've all been in a situation where you've been trying to break through a room, but you couldn't get through. So, like, we were going to talk about uh, clean versus blue comedy. When I was doing comedy, there was a narrative about me about being a blue comic. I had two curse words in my entire 30-minute set. That was it. And they weren't part of the punchline. They were part of the setup. Like, so it wasn't like when I cursed, it was to set up the joke. It was to set up the punchline. But the narrative about me was I was blue. You know, so people create narrative <laughs> I mean, I turned the lights off, so you really can't tell. Exactly. So I'm it. But wow, you just laughed. I've seen you. <laughs> so the thing is, the thing is, it's like people will create a narrative about you, and to justify whatever they want to do. You know, so if you can understand that, then you can start to understand like how is it to be put in that place of a narrative being created. It's not just something they do to black people. People will do it to anybody to justify an action. Well, and they say you always hear uh, because inevitably when uh, an unarmed black person is killed by the police within a week or so, there comes a photo up of them maybe flipping off a camera, holding a gun, whatever. And people go, well, see, that's them as a person. Don't let them show you the, the nice photo. When anyone dies, don't we usually tend to go for like the nicest photo of them? I mean, honestly, go look at me in my early 20s. You can find plenty of pictures that make me look like an awful human being because I was a dumb kid. I, you know, that's well, like, what's right, that. passed out in a, in a bed of beer cans. <laughs> separate from that, though, like, especially, I had this conversation about the jogger that was killed. Arbery. Yes. It doesn't matter what happened in his past it doesn't matter what happened 10 seconds before that video he could have said i'm about to go fuck your mama in the mouth till she dies it doesn't merit two armed dudes stopping a vehicle getting out of that vehicle and then shooting him it doesn't matter what happened before it doesn't it doesn't merit dudes getting out of a vehicle to shoot him so like the picture angle it absolutely happens every single time that drives me fucking nuts when uh, when the pictures get trotted out, because who gives a shit what they looked like in a picture 
10 days before they were killed, an hour before they were killed. It doesn't fucking matter. I'm sorry for ruining the funny drunk guy character, but I got a little mad. (laughs) (laughs) That's my character, Dan. It's all right. You nailed the landing. And that was what mattered because the apology itself sounded like a drunk apologizing. Look, look, I'm sorry, you guys. You sounded like my drunk uncle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, ju- I just need to say that. Uh, Finch, now you have you have some uh, you have a background with law enforcement, so uh, I'm gonna give you the Do platform that. now. Well, let's hear your thoughts as well. Um, actually, I, I kind of had a question on with with uh, the the blue and the black thing, but having nothing to do with comedy. Actually, so when we see a police officer. Uh, hurting or doing something bad to a, a black person or a person of color at all. Uh, do we see the blueness of the police officer or do we see the white of the guy that is, that is white? I think because it's not often that we have these situations where it's a person of color that is a police officer versus a person of color. That doesn't well, really make but, it. So I actually awful. think, I think maybe, I think maybe that's changed a little bit. I do think it used to be that we saw the white police officer doing this, to you know, black, but I think now it's it's even becoming a point where it's just police officer. We well, see I mean, police Cube officer was talking about that in in the eighties and nineties. Right. Even Easy E talked about that in Fuck the Police and they, and uh, the episode of the Fresh Prince. There yeah. was there was an episode of Fresh Prince that dealt with that as well. I appreciate you <laughs> making it much more family friendly reference than me talking about NWA. You're welcome, <laughs> Rob. Uh, what, what do you think? Do you when you see these incidents, do you see the white officer or do you see the officer? Yeah, I think generally people see the white skin of the officer, and then like if you think about Freddie Gray in Baltimore, knowing that black cops were involved in it, then it turns blue. It's interesting. So my brother was working on a task force for U.S. Marshals for years, and he told Gary, police department, just leave me alone. And they begged him to come back, and when he came back, they were like, "You can, we want you back, pick what department you want to be over. They thought he was going to pick homicide because that's where, you know, he that's pretty much where he built his reputation. And he said he wanted to be in training. He wanted to be over the training unit. And they were like, of all units, why the hell do you want to be over training? So talking to my brother, I think I see it differently. It's not white, it's not blue, it's not black if the officer's black. It's the training at all. Because my brother's thing is, when he sees stuff like this, it falls back on the training. How were these officers trained? You know, what did they go through so you can try to get any type of indication of how they would handle themselves in a stressful situation? And he tries to put cadets in extremely stressful situations, especially if, like, if you think about a city like Gary, Indiana, that is 90% black. And most of the officers they hire now are white who didn't grow up in Gary. They grew up in areas surrounded there that are mostly white. His thing is, okay, how are you going to handle yourself in a stressful situation? And if you can't take the pressure, okay, well, tell you what, you probably shouldn't be a police officer in, in Gary, Indiana. Oh, you know, so his thing is, like, it goes back to the training and, like, how much, like, there, there are things that are indicators. So the officer that killed um, Brother Floyd the other day, they just, it's 18 different cases that were filed against him, 18 different complaints. Yeah. That's a hell of an indicator right there that he's pro- he might kill somebody one day. And we when, should probably do something about it. When you start digging into, and not only the the officers that end up um, killing you know black people, but any officer involved in, in something where someone dies, when you start digging into it, 
almost unanimously you see histories of excessive violence and reports against them and complaints. And I mean, the I can't remember the the kid's name, but they were he was a um, exterminator and him and his girlfriend were in a hotel room and he had like a 22 for his extermination job. And like uh, a cop with an uh, an AR-15 giving the worst directions I've ever heard anyone give anyone, uh, telling him to like crawl, but stand up and come out of the room and don't look at me, turn around like and then shot him in the hallway for not complying. Like that guy on his AR, like said it had something like engraved in it, like, uh, you know, uh, a skull and crossbones or like something like that or like you know and like why would that ever be acceptable to have that guy it's like the guy from uh full metal jacket on the police force like why would that ever be acceptable to have someone that out there well and well the nature of police has changed uh like first off if you ever got a cop with a punisher sticker they need to be fired immediately punisher correct was a vigilante killer but police used to be called peace officers and now they're called law enforcement officers. And that change denotes just this huge mindset shift because it used to be we're about keeping the peace. And now it's about we are enforcing these laws on you. And that like that shift leads to people who don't view the people they're supposed to be protecting as people. It views like it. They're, they're lawbreakers first before they're people we're supposed to keep the peace on. And that that's going to start causing problems even when you've got normal like good people who just want to help that go through this training well and i think one thing we do also need to to state is if you go if you look at the numbers and you look at the percentages most police officers are good police officers and they're they're good people the problem (laughs) is the ones that are not are never held to any sort of punishment they're never they're never like it, it just feels like and so that reflects back on every police officer because it's just like so when they you hear all the time about how police officers will say that they are in a rough uh black neighborhood that that starts to become what they see with black people is because that's what they're same thing where if you are not punishing these bad officers you're putting them back out on the streets and they are doing this that's going to be the perception by black people by police officers i've always understood uh when a black person is racist towards white people and i this is i hate white people to say this i've had black people think i'm racist the easiest most privileged hardship to have is somebody just thinking you're racist because you're white but i always understood it's not because you know what when you first started coming to crackers we were having conversations for three months if you were black or not we couldn't tell (laughs) (laughs) that's because i was in sean john and rocker wear sweatsuits the entire time Uh, i see you shopped at jw at the washington square mall as well (laughs) rob what was your intro for me do you remember whatever you would bring me on stage I cannot remember because He's I'm blacker than I am. A lot of weed. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. But, yeah, I was fine smoking a lot of weed back then. I could not remember anything those nights. But I was, I was always, I've always had an affinity for rap culture and everything else. And so that doesn't also mean that that's, I hate that as well. As they think if you are somebody who sides on the fact that maybe we shouldn't kill unarmed innocent people, you're somehow a sympathizer. I mean, it's a human sympathizer. If these are white, you know, the problem is it's also there's never a white criminal. The one of the biggest things you can look at is 
So you always hear some sort of bullshit about uh, uh, maybe a weapon is found later on. What about the weapon of the guy that went into the theater in Colorado or the church shot up the entire theater and is walked out? Yeah, or yeah. the church, and they're walked out by their arms by officers. It doesn't make any sense. Correct, and not even walked out handcuffed. They were walked out and then handcuffed. With the church shooter, they stopped him, got him a fucking burger. Yeah, we went to Burger King. Yep, stopped off the Burger King. But George Floyd bounced a check that didn't bounce. Oh, so that's the other thing. So we'll get we'll get some sort of report in a couple of weeks that one time he drove on a suspended license. So, you know, uh, he's that kind of behavior gets you. I hate that comment on Facebook. Uh, you know, play dumb games, get dumb results. So what kind of dumb game is uh, shooting a church full of people? Here's the thing. Even if some of these uh, even if some of these black men who are being murdered are committing crimes, we have degrees of punishment for crimes for a right, reason. Not capital that offenses, back to what uh, I was exactly. About. Sorry, like, Fitch, go ahead. Nothing. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, buddy. Oh, I was just saying that they're not capital offenses worthy of a of a execution, right? You, you weren't diddling children. You were forging a check. Well, and that's the that's the problem. And honestly, it goes back down even to like treatment of people. In jail, I may have had some recent experience uh, with this. I was I was taken to the Marion County Jail because I had forgotten to uh, the equivalent of pay a fine in Johnson County, and I had to spend three and a half days in Marion County Jail, which if you're, you're not uh, from Indianapolis, it's our roughest jail uh, in our biggest city, and I was treated inhumanely. And anytime you talk to people about that and you go, no, this is wrong how they treat people that are in the jail. They go, well, then don't commit a crime. No, no, no. I still have a right to be treated like a person and to not be subjected to, uh, you know, torture in essence because you're kept awake for you know almost 72 hours in a holding cell that has no possibility of you being able to rest. Uh, and yeah. then it's overcrowded, everything else. You deserve human treatment. Like law enforcement stopped being about protecting the people which is what the original idea of law enforcement as far as mankind was at some point we looked around and go hey some of these some of these people are going around and doing bad things and hurting other people we need to come up with a group of people that stand up for those people and then it became a yeah. business and then it became you know like like you were saying dan with the the enforcement of laws and a lot of time that it, it breaks down to, it comes down to business and especially in these smaller wider towns uh, I mean, when Terry and I used to drive to shows on the road, there were times where he was legitimately, when we pulled to gas stations, towns we weren't very familiar with, he would lean down. He didn't want to be visible because we didn't know. I've, I've been in that what, situation, too. Were you were worried? Yeah. Finch, you look pretty white. Where I was worried? Yes, I've been in that situation where I was worried. Explain. And I was in that situation. What do you mean? It's the exact opposite of. of oh, so if you're in like, I, uh, uh, like Gary or a predominantly black. They, they, it was down south where things are still. A lot of times they are still segregated in the smaller towns. I mean, I was I've been in towns that the sign was there, and this was in the two thousands of you know no colors. I've seen signs that say no whites ten minutes down the road. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Because we were, you know, it was 2003, 2004. Uh, but when me and my buddy would go out uh, finding fishing spots and whatnot, sometimes he'd pump gas, sometimes I'd pump gas. Just depend on where we stopped. 
I do think the no white sign was actually a reference to this podcast. They didn't want us <laughs> using that. <establishment. laughs> That's why we got Rob. Um, so I want to talk about the writing now. Um, and again, if you haven't seen, you can go to his Facebook page or it's probably been shared on your feed already. Andrew Mercado. I actually think this guy's going to, he's going to get at some point, some sort of offer for journalism, uh, for maybe a bigger, publication because he did a hell of a job he's just oh, a he guy will not get an offer for journalism you don't think so no because okay so this is one of the things that stood out to me that bothered me in the video so okay, he started he started screaming at reporters and it was probably like a cnn reporter it was national news oh i didn't see that like where were you yeah he was screaming at the reporters where were you guys at last night and the funny thing was well the reporter was there last night like they were there, they were near the target. And so this is another interesting thing that just this time that we live in, the way um, the press is attacked, it's like, cause some people are gonna attack the press for not being there. And then some people are gonna attack the press for being there. <laughs> so Exploited, like, yeah, it's either exploitation or absence. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, no, the, the press was there last night and it looked like the same report that I was watching on CNN and CNN has apparently figured out we have to actually provide security for our reporters now because you could see them pushing people back. You could see guys with holsters on their thigh like they were like really heavy thought like you couldn't see the gun like they were going to have to go through something. They had to pull out a gun, but it was clearly a, a thigh holster and it's like, no, they were there. But he didn't realize that in the time. So he had something. He had some bias against the press. He fucked up then because, like, I didn't see that part. And that's obviously that. But the parts, a lot of the parts I did see where he was walking around and narrating what was going on was really good. And like I said, it's what kept me because we've seen uh, we've seen footage of of the riots. And I think one of us brought this up earlier. It wasn't me, but uh, about. You've seen it from a helicopter view. Is it Dan? Were you talking about that? Or Finch? Finch, yeah, Finch was talking about that. You've seen it from a helicopter view. You've seen occasionally little snippets of it. He gave us what it was like to have a very, to be there. Almost. For like, for like six hours. He had like, yeah, six, like hours six hours of recording. Right in the thick of everything. And um, we're. I was talking with uh, uh, Corey before I came over here to Mark's about this. Uh, because Corey was saying like, you know, he... He, the one issue he has with the the protesting and or the the rioting is, you know, the looting of those small businesses that are in that community and are not going to be able to rebound when it's over. Uh, here's the thing: I don't think anyone thinks someone that goes into someone else's property, smashes and steals it. I don't think anyone would say that that's, you know, uh, a morally sound good move. But eh. my my, <laughs> I guess if it was if it was a local. Own comedy club named after a snack food, maybe. But I would say, or a multi-billion-dollar. Well, I would. I would say this. Uh, think of it this way. It's still not right. Well, Bill, I mean, no, but think of it this way. It's fine, but it's not right. Think of it this I'm way. I'm not going to say it's right, but I'm going to say it's not wrong. Well, hold on. Think of it this way: a community that feels so ignored and that feels so overlooked, the only option they can think of to get that attention to try to change things is to destroy their own community because now we are paying attention. Whatever the, what, people can say what they want, whatever a riot comes up, I mean, Rob, you were talking, you were watching it on CNN. They had all kinds of coverage. They fight, like, we paid attention to the crime and everything else, 
but we're really we're following this now. So, so here's the situation. Yeah. So black people like nobody pays attention to we actually start setting shit on fire. So this is what I found out today. The reason why that target was targeted, um, pun intended, <laughs> was because you know they were like the press. The, the the police had decided to use tear gas on the people who were marching, the protesters. And the thing that helps most with tear gas was milk. There were people who were trying to go into Target to buy milk so they could go ahead and or like pour it in the face and the eyes of people who were being being uh, who had, um, got uh, got hurt by the tear gas. And that Target refused to sell them milk. And that's what set it off. That store decided we are not going to sell you any. People went in there with the intentions of let's just buy all the milk we can. And Target said, no, we're not going to sell milk to anybody. We're hey, not selling hey, you This shit. may be semantics, but was it was it pepper spray or was it tear gas? I'm not sure which one it was, but they people ran from ran from. I milk. heard it was tear gas because it was the canister versus like. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was canisters because you could hear them hit the ground. And and uh, and uh, that was video. likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tear gas. Well, but that's the thing. Baby like, shampoo works better, but they probably just thought milk is great for pepper spray. Baby shampoo for for the canisters. Maybe that's don't ask me. Finch's I don't know. I don't have a job. He's going to teach us things. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. Don't worry. But <laughs> you don't remember any. Of I will this. share that with the black delegation later on tonight once we finish the call. <laughs> well, and, and like Rob said, like. But, you know, black people have, have gotten to a point where, and whether it's right or wrong, it's how they feel. And there's a reason behind why they feel that way. And of course, again, nobody thinks it's right to go break somebody's, you know, uh, business and steal from them. But the mindset is also that that's the only thing we can do. And yes, there were some people that were just out there to go steal, to go steal shit. Absolutely. Of course there were. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who are just setting shit on fire to make a point. And now, that's- I also I have seen that several of businesses put up signs saying minority owned or business and their places were left untouched. And or some of them business. Some of them had a few one, guys outside with uh, assault rifles. I saw one uh, place did them as well. Get a window broken and a GoFundMe was already started to replace their windows. So, well, and I it's think definitely there were definitely people doing random destruction, but the actual protesters were doing their best to keep their actual community safe. And like the AutoZone had cops on top of it is what I heard. That's why that shit got lit. Well, and it's it's one of those things where you hear like, you know, uh, well, why would black people feel feel they need to set their their own community on fire to, to get attention? It's the same conversation when people say, uh, I'm sick of talking about race and racism. It's like, yeah, if you're that sick of talking about it, could you imagine how exhausting it has to be for Rob and black people to live it, to have to live with all of that and in certain key moments not hear it brought up like Rob what how does it make you feel when you when people try to <laughs> say that because there's a lot of why you like to act like racism is is not around anymore it's not something we had that we a have. black president Brad <laughs> <laughs> and you saw exactly what happened right afterwards yeah Bill Clinton right <laughs> oh my god did you just make exactly. the 90 sitcom Christ. joke of all time mm. Got it. No, so a friend of mine um, posted on Facebook today, which is something that's really true. Like, <laughs> Sorry. 
no, I looked okay. back at the it's screen okay. and Dan had the bottle inverted <laughs> above his head. Oh, okay. No, I was like, yeah, yeah. That's this, why he coughed. Oh, this is an episode where you got to be careful where you start laughing at, especially when Rob talks. <laughs> <laughs> I've said literally nothing. No, I know. Rob's the sacred lamb, though. That's oh. why we have to put the video up so people can actually see for themselves because the video is going to be half the damn story. But no, <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine posted up something. So, like, when people, people like people don't think about the historical context. So, uh, a friend of mine posted, you know, when people were complaining about the looters and everything. And let's remember, there were white people in, the, in that Target, too, that were looting. There was a white lady that went in there to get those lamps that cost too damn much. <laughs> did did you see the guy that today. took the snowblower? That was the what? greatest part of the whole thing. That's planning ahead. That is brilliant. <laughs> Dude, in Minneapolis, just just grabbing a snowblower. Well, I think at some out. point they're also just grabbing whatever's left because people were going into Planet Fitness and bringing out just free weights. <laughs> yeah. So they're expensive too. Have you ever tried to buy one of them forty-five pounders? It's like eighty bucks. Fish, that was my fault. But we are stepping all over Rob, who was trying. No, no, to no, no, no. You're good. You're good. But that was oh, my fault. Good. This is funny because I started the shit. But anyway, um, no, like people don't like taking historical context. And a friend of mine posted. He said, "Hey, nobody says anything when the Ku Klux Klan burned to black neighborhoods all through the 20th century, late 19th century." And it's kind of like, and he's like, "Shoulder shrug, carry on." Like nobody says anything about the amount of property was taken away. And if you think about um what oh God, what was that show on HBO? Um the Sopranos. No, yeah, that's Game it. of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one where Regina Keena was on last year where they it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma and they went back Oh, to, Watchmen? Yeah. Yeah, Watchmen. Like nobody thinks about oh, Black Wall Street. Nobody thinks about like the economic, the wealth that black people had generated in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, that could have been replicated in multiple communities where black people had actually developed their own revenue. And it was like, and that was completely torn down. So like people think about, oh, if you think about the LA riots in, you know, the 1992 and then in 68 and then all the riots, they always burned down the community. Like completely, people completely forget that, like just like, in 20 years before the LA riots and before the end, like, no, white people were burning down our communities and nobody talked about it. Like, nobody said shit about it. But now that we burn down certain parts of our community, oh, look what you're doing. You're destroying your community. Really? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, our it's, it's the whole narrative that it's, it's the narrative that closed minded people have to tell themselves so they can sleep at night is, well, you know, that was an extreme group of racists. This is every black person in Minneapolis. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a coping mechanism for dumb people is, is what it ends up being. How many, did anybody count how many people were out there protesting slash rioting? Well, no, there were a a lot of people protesting because in the early videos of, uh, for Andrew, you, that he starts off before all the rioting, begins where it's it's the protesters uh you know gathering to go at the place so basically what he said was was going on was the protesters were marching closer towards the building the police would then shoot off a canister or shoot uh some rubber bullets and they would back off and then they would slowly march back towards and it was becoming a back and forth so and you hear them chanting at one point hands up don't shoot and it's a lot of people but then i do think what happened is and he even talks about this at times once people find out that there's rioting, that's when you get the people or sorry, that there's looting. That's when that's you just, when you get people that go, Oh, I'm gonna loot. And then they flood that scene because now you're not gonna get other 
<laughs> you're not going to get more protesters to come once they find out it's looting because people who are there to protest uh, and not I'm loot stores, are, yeah, they're not there for that. So they're so not going to go through into this. I, I went through this. I lived in Oakland during the Oscar Grant uh, and Johannes Meserly stuff with Fruitvale Station. Mm-hmm. And I have multiple friends who got arrested during the protests, during the riots. And there was a lot of exactly what you're talking about. There were people who showed up to protest and then someone threw a trash can through a window and all hell broke loose. And the protesters would start to bail. And some of them, yeah, they'd loot because, I mean, people are people. But then other people would show up to take advantage of the chaos and when it came to people would say oh why are they why are they destroying their own community they weren't destroying their own community. they were destroying downtown oakland where the courthouse and the mayor's office were that that's why they were protesting there because that's where the injustice was done like in minneapolis they went to the cops precinct first and they were met with riot police or anything happened right whereas White people mad because they couldn't go get their fucking haircut showed up with guns to the governor's mansion and nothing happened. And they lived through it and they stormed the building and did yes. people get arrested? I didn't see any cases of arrests, but if there were, it wasn't like this. Right. And unfortunately, uh, Rob, I, you made this point earlier. I actually literally thought the same thing, which is we could – the five of us, we could be looking at a similar situation here, and I think it's a twofold. I think one, you're gonna you're gonna have people that see all this coverage of of this riding there that think it looks fun because they're not in it and they're not you know living in it at the moment and they're not in danger and they're going. We we also have the other kind of powder keg for this. Uh, for this formula, which is the recent injustice, and I don't know, Rob, do you do you know what's gone on with that case? Uh, do you do you have do you know what it's updated to yet? Like what's going on with um, the officers? Because it's also, by the way, the end of that video of that kid being killed with the with the white detective that comes up covering his face and just stops. I mean, that's the end of a movie where the government is fucking. You know, some sort of secret coalition murdering yeah. people. I mean, it's a, it's so fucking creepy. Have you heard anything about the case? No, I don't know what's going on with the case. So this, so here in Indianapolis, so yeah, I, I went down to the scene and protested too. Um, I think with Indianapolis, I don't think it's a thing of people thinking it's fun. People in Indianapolis are just mad. You know, so if something happens again. It's not going to be a thing of some, there, there will be people who take advantage of the situation. Let's not get that wrong. But there are going to be people who are like, fuck it. Just, and like, and you could feel it, like the tension was there. Uh, like driving down Michigan and the street was blocked off and then like nobody was getting through. And then I went down the side street and parked my car at the library there and walked over there. You could feel the tension and the police knew, Don't, do not get close. Do not get close. Um, so, so if something happens in Indianapolis, it is going to be real emotion. It could be really ugly. And I'm not sure Indianapolis police are even prepared for anything. So the the re- response by law enforcement here in Indianapolis will probably be way worse than anything the yeah. black community could do. They'll be they'll panic and they will overreact in a big way. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you see, you see it whenever we have any sort of event downtown, and they start, you start getting large groups of people in those smaller confines, and the the police are. It's, I mean, I, it's. You're right. They overextend their reach, and it's. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is here, but well, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think something they got to look at. They they got to look at as something happens. They don't have enough people there. Or they don't they don't have enough officers to respond or emergency services personnel that are maybe EMS or fire department. If they don't have enough people there. Well, then the government's garbage because they couldn't take care of the people. But if nothing happens, well, they had too many fucking people like there's there's a it's a catch 22. And it's kind of a dilemma that they unfortunately are put in. Uh, One of the challenges for Indianapolis is also going to be that Indianapolis has never had a riot. And it is something that this city takes complete and total pride in, that this was the only major city that after King was assassinated did not riot. And they, so there's a book called uh, Peaceful Protest that talks about how black people in Indianapolis took a peaceful approach to everything. Um, And that's gonna be one of the problems where other cities, Chicago, Boston, Detroit, they all have something they can lean back on. They're like, yeah, we've been we've been down this road before. If it happens here in Indianapolis, there has never been a riot here. Nobody has an idea where, like, where was Spark off at. Nobody has an idea what people would target, where people would go. They have no, square. Oh man, that would be so awesome. Um, <laughs> Duncan Bowling would be over. <laughs> not Duncan. Awesome. He means full of awe and, and, and not well, and stolen craft beer. Well, and right now is honestly, <laughs> right. right now is 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 you know the the pressure chamber because of just the pandemic. Everybody's fucking getting irritable. Everybody's you know already under pressure. People are financially. Uh, you know, strained and anxious. It. Sorry, go ahead, Finch. And everybody's wearing a mask, so you can just blend right in and blend right out. I could walk in there with a bandana on my face, and nobody's going to think twice because I'm just wearing a mask, right? I did think that if that becomes the new normal, I mean, that's what a time to be a bank robber, right? Well, From the old west, like this is this is exactly. your time. At the at the retail store I work at, like ninety percent of the last like. 15 Octobers of my life have been hey can you not wear a mask please hey can you take the mask off thanks but now, now it's now it's like please dear god wear a mask <laughs> but <laughs> think about how many, how many places in Indianapolis like you can't wear a hoodie in a store right like the two off. of the gas stations that I go to daily are just like no hoods no backpacks but, but and every time somebody on. tells me to take my hood off, I go, you can see my face. I'm good. And I I keep moving. You're not telling me. To right. my hood Rob, off. you can say <laughs> that. And they're of course, they're not going to say anything to you. If I do that, they're going to go, no, take the fucking hood off. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm just an asshole. So I'm, I'm going to keep moving. So like, the, the powder keg thing in Indianapolis, like um, the the area that this is in is a, a nice enough area for the most part. Um, Isn't there like a shooting every other weekend in the apartments right across from Hold on. I'm getting to that. Because <laughs> I live down the road. So, so. It's nice enough. In the, in the last, um, like, month since I've been paying attention to the Citizen app, um, 
there have been 514 stabbings or shootings within a two and a half mile radius of my house. Jesus Christ. 514. Uh, you got to move. Street. Uh, so, okay. Uh, what do you think the response, Rob, would be if we, if, if there were to, like, if writing were to start? I have no idea. Um, I have no idea. Um, hashtag glad I'm in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I just like, I hope that Indianapolis just realizes that they dodged a bullet and they try to do something to get ahead of it. Because imagine if the situation here happened after a video in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, well, there wouldn't have been an organized protest. It just would have been all out. Let's go downtown and fuck shit up. Well, we saw it that like, summer with Baltimore and um, St. Louis that happened within like two weeks of each other. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, granted, both of those areas are powder kegs for racism to begin with because of the the nature of the cities. But like... I mean, we're we're built pretty much like St. Louis when when you think about the racial divide in the city. So, like, it it definitely didn't help. Um, you know, but then the other part of it is so. One of the things that when I'm having conversations in different communities about just racial dynamics, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? And when I say you, I mean white people. What are you going to do? Like, you're in this room, you're in this space, you're having this conversation. What can you do? So, you know, everybody talks about, you know, did, well, we talk about white privilege. And, you know, people are like, what privilege do I have? The privilege that you have is that you can actually ignore a situation. Like, one of the things that pissed me off today, I had a friend post on Facebook. I'm so tired of seeing all this negative news. There was a thing here in Indianapolis. Now there's a thing in Minneapolis. I just want to see some good news. That is so fucking great of you that you can actually. Yeah, sorry, your life yeah. is being, uh, you know, interrupted by these uh, unarmed black people dying. Right, right. Sorry, it's such an inconvenience. Like, look, I'm trying to watch Incredibles too. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm just I'm trying scrolling. to watch this Jerry Seinfeld special. You fucking leave me alone. Don't talk about this. You know, uh, but the thing is, so white privilege comes in before anything like this happens. That's when white privilege comes in. Like, is there another like, privilege? I think rich. that's the only privilege. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, rich privilege trumps everything. Like Dave Chappelle said, like you know, like rich privilege is just like that. I mean, at a certain like point, because like I remember Bucks player who just got a re-signing bonus that the cops got called on him because he walked tried to go into a diamond store. They locked the door and called the cops when he was trying to buy a watch. So, I mean, at a certain point, rich trumps everything, yeah. but it's it's like anything else where when you're black in America, you can only get to about 80 white person can get. Mm-hmm. So, like, rich black is like Chris Rock talked about it in one of his specials, how his neighbor's dentist. Yeah, he, like he's a, a white dentist. Yeah, his neighbor, he's, he's like uh, Jay-Z's one of the greatest rappers of all time. And uh, but he ain't the greatest dentist of all time. He's just a dentist. Um, I had a friend of mine. We were talking about this one day, and he was uh, kind of on the side of like, uh, I don't have white privilege. I've never gotten anything from white privilege. And I said, okay, well, you remember uh, our friend we grew up with uh, in Franklin, Jennifer? She's black. I said, you know what the privilege is? I said, I'll never have to teach my son how to act around the police so that he doesn't get murdered. Yeah. 
I could teach him to fly. I have been belligerent to cops when I was drunk and you? had no fear ever in my life that something bad was going to happen. No, Jennifer has, you. Jennifer has, <laughs> my, my friend Jennifer has to teach. We've talked about it. She's had to teach her kids. Hey, if you are ever in a situation with the police, you have to behave this way. You have to do these things because your life depends on it. That's privilege. No, but what well, I, what the question was yeah. not necessarily is there a rich I meant race like is there oh, a black yeah. privilege is there a is it if we're using colors we could say yellow or red or is there a uh, Asian uh, privilege like I mean yeah I there's black privilege when I show up to the basketball court and nobody's ever seen me play I'm definitely getting picked <laughs> absolutely um, yeah technically you know, I can be an alcoholic and run a casino on a reservation if I want I guess that's red privilege if you want to look at it that way don't you take away my alcohol <laughs> so, that's all I've got Rob Dan uh, stand up so this may be this may be and, and this is going to also show uh, the gulf between the two privileges ours is we don't have to worry about getting murdered by the police uh, but Rob and Dan, you both know that if it's a if it's a crowd full of uh, white people, a black comic has about a thirty percent better chance of killing because the white people want to laugh at the black comic, whereas black audiences are my personal favorite because they're honest and they don't give a shit what color oh, yeah. you are. They're going to be honest and how not only are they going to tell you if they don't think you're funny, they're going to tell you why they're funnier than you and they're going to <laughs> make it very clear. Whereas, uh, I mean, Terry used to love going up in front. Thanks for bringing him up again. I uh, used to love going up in front of uh, all white crowds because he was just like, oh, this shit's easy. Hmm. Rob, do you find, have you found that? No, so like back then, so... It was everybody. Everybody came to a comedy club to have a good time. Of course, you're gonna have that what asshole that came there that he thinks heckling is like helping the show, you know. But everybody came to have a good time. The difference between a white audience and a black audience is a black audience can tell if you're being yourself. A yeah. black audience has to. So first, when so like I said, you know, stopped doing comedy. Worked in Southside Chicago. I was working on a high school in Southside Chicago. Um, like the high school where all the high rise housing projects that you would see like back in the day before they tore them all down, like that high school took all of those kids in that one building. And um, that school, their chess team would whoop everybody's ass like all through the city. They would go to the north side of Chicago and that chess team would whoop everybody's ass. And people were like, why is that team so but good at chess? how'd they do in like, chess? Huh? How'd they do in chess? <laughs> and just, <laughs> no, they like they won. Like that's they won tournaments. That's great. They won tournaments. Like they that's the thing. They will go like they will win the tournaments. They will go to Northside and win the tournaments. And people are like, well, how are they so good at chess? And it was like, because they play chess every day. <laughs> like you come out of your house and you look two blocks down and you go, I can't go that way today. I need to go this way. And it's like they can read everything. So as a black person, you grow up reading everything. You grow up reading how people feel. So when you walk into an interview, you can tell this person is not going to hire me because, like, my name is Robert Harris. But if my name was Devontae, I wouldn't even have got the interview. Like, you can read people. So when you show up in front of a black crowd, a black crowd, if you're real, if that's who you are, they will roll with you. But if you're trying to be something you're not, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I don't want to deal with fake shit all day. So, like, if you're real in front of a black crowd, they are going to love you. I know several white comics 
that were afraid when they saw it was going to be like a, a large black room. And I had oh, no was- concern about them because I felt that their act was genuine. And because they had a Thank genuine you. act, at the end of the night, they were getting hugs from black people. They're like, oh, my God, I was going to I was afraid. Like, no, your act is about your life. That's you what happened. Yeah, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The crowds and the laughter. Uh, I also find it easier to judge whether or not a black crowd does really think it's funny because it's not that they loud. They're loud when they laugh. It's that they get up and run around and then they sit back down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, no, yeah, and a white and a white crowd. If even if a comic is bombing. They'll almost like they want him. They, it's like they try to inspire him. You know, they'll give him some little like kind of like yeah, some little chuckles to try to like help him out. Yeah. And a black crowd is done. Um, well, like my, my buddy Cody thing. Woods, uh, my buddy Cody Woods out of California is funniest comic I've ever seen, and he His. plays primarily black rooms. He did uh, Kevin Hart's Heart of the. Oh shit, Dan! You are boys. cutting in and out, and you're on dangerous ground. I feel like his. Oh <laughs> shit! My bad. Okay, now you're good. You're good. Uh, so my buddy Cody Woods destroys in black rooms. Like he's one of the only white comics that Tony lets open, and it's because he brings that authenticity to the set. Like he has material about being the only white guy around primarily black people, but it's not the material. It's the just the confidence that he delivers it because they can tell that that is who he is. He's not he's not doing a character. He's telling his story. Well, you guys know the Madam Walker Theater downtown. Uh, there's a guy named Reno Hype who used to set up these variety shows at the Madam Walker, and it was always a predominantly black crowd, and uh, he used to always have asked me to be on them, and I was always the only comic and the only white person on the show. And what they tend to do in these variety shows where you have music, poetry, comedy, is they go, well, we'll just put the comedy and the poetry together because they're the same thing. They don't need a band. So I would always go after these poets who were doing amazing you know, poetry about oppression and everything else. And it'd be like four black poets going up in a row doing these uh, poems about oppression and, and, and surviving and overcoming and then it's like who's ready to laugh and they bring <laughs> me out God gets up there and say y'all know what government cheese tastes like nope I, here's my opener I'd always go out and go hey you know the guy that they were talking about that's me <laughs> <laughs> and they killed every time they loved it and it's because you're getting it's a, I think not only Rob when you say they 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 appreciate genuineness. They appreciate fearlessness as well. When you're not, let me tell you the worst intro ever. I was opening in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, oh, I thought that I'm was. Not gonna, I, yeah, no, I love Lexington. Lex, I used to live. I love Lexington. Um, but I came back to Lexington. There's a uh, R&B band called the SOS Band, and they were performing, and I was supposed to open up for them. And they're so. I'm sitting off to the side and like the DJ is playing and the crowd is like, I mean, like people there, they're doing the electric slide. Everybody is having a great time reading for the band. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, oh shit, we forgot about the comedian. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Yeah, but you can't stop the electric slide. Exactly. Hold on. So this is what happened. So I'm like, oh fuck, do not call me up right now. People do not want to stop. Like the only thing reason why they want to stop is for the SOS band. 
And the, the person runs over to the DJ and is like, oh, we got a comedian. And he goes, oh, okay. And he stops the music. I mean, he just, it was like, Ur! I was going to say, was the um, record scratch? Even though my- <laughs> it was like, oh, uh, yeah. Um, we got a comic. He from Gary. Um, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's how he bought me up. And it was like, there was nothing I was going to be able to say to win that crowd over. I knew it. It was like, I did a joke about the electric slide and said, fuck it, and got the hell out of there. And it was just over. You know what? Um, so, the, Rob, he's a, he's been our hero all show because he's given us the ability to actually talk about this and not just seem like a really strange, awkward, again, friends type podcast talking about these issues. Um, he saved us there at the end. I think we should go home on a Mount Rushmore, and I think we now have the perfect way to do. So, Rob, uh, every in every episode, we're going to put together a Mount Rushmore of something, uh, a top five, if you will. <clears throat> and now Jesus we Christ. have every time we have a uh ability to where everyone can contribute one face to our mount rushmore top five so dan had a so suggestion which face is not getting carved in because exactly there's five of us yeah the mount rushmore is the top five so um okay you know fitch i i understand why rob was questioning that you, know you that were bit. here on the last we did a rehearsal episode we explained the bit to you and yet you still felt the need to get in there with the whole face is missing. Your face is missing, bitch. You're not in this Mount Rushmore. No, no. Okay. So, uh, but the audience doesn't know that. They were here point. for the for the practice. That's a very good point. You know, if you just would have left it at the rant, we would have been good, and we could have moved into now. Now you got drug Dan chiming in here. You've awoken the beast. So here's what we're gonna He's do. Inverting the bottle again. I just saw the cork come. Out. I was He's right. I, this podcast is going to give him liver failure. <laughs> I I was uh, I was a little nervous about Dan's pick. He made it before I brought up you know wanting to do the episode focused on this. Uh, but Dan, give us what your suggestion was for the top five, which kind of now seems maybe a little. I don't know. Uh, my suggestion was like top, like our favorite fictional military. And I think we should save any such thing with the military for maybe the next episode. Uh, we've had a lot of talk <laughs> about authority, and uh, it just gets out of hand. And somebody's <laughs> throwing a trash can. And uh, well, let's do uh, let's do top five recess games. And the next episode for the Seinfeld thing, Dan, we are going to do top five fictional. Sounds military. good to me. So uh, I think the way we do this is everybody contributes their their one. Okay. And you can feel free to kind of throw a couple out and talk it out, but you have to decide on one, and then we will carve that into stone, and it'll be our Mount Rushmore top five. I hate, Thank you. I hate you so, so much. Recess games. These have to, the criteria is it had to be played at a schoolyard. It had to be played outside, and it cannot be any sort of traditional sport. No baseball. So during no school hours. Yes, and it well, or it could be after school, or it could be before school, but it has to be out of school. But not like basketball or not baseball. basketball. Now you could go knockout. Yeah, knockout is a which is a, which is a, a bas- basketball Jason. So, ta- uh, give what are some of the just your classics going to be tag? You're going to have hide and seek, hide kickball. and seek, dodgeball, kickball, um, smear the it's twenty twenty. Correct. So, uh, Ta- tackle the my, person with the my ball. My son is transgender. I'm offended by that. I'm a transparent. So, um, oh, that means see through. 
<laughs> okay, you know what? I'm about to top your seat through Joe Finch, and I'm about to use the power of my son without a penis because uh, I have a sweatshirt that says transparent, and he has a sweatshirt that says trans kid. Now, my son has not seen or oh, heard him. Yeah, my son has not seen or heard from his mom in six, seven years, okay? When I showed him the transparent sweatshirt, he goes, Hey, Dad, we should get one of those for Mom. Get it? Because I can't see her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad Rob, yeah. Rob had the reaction of one normal person in this conversation. Well, no, I told him, I, I've never been more proud of you in your entire life. And you made the honor roll one year in elementary school. Not granted, it was elementary school, so how fucking hard was it? But you made the honor roll. So um, I'm just glad he didn't get the funny gene from you because that was actually a good joke. <laughs> then it would have been, you're glad he got the. Yeah, okay, man. All right, Fitch, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to concede that one to you for the sake of time and getting to this. So we've talked about some of the classics. Does anybody have their, their one? Foursquare. Foursquare. Okay, Foursquare is not big at my school. What are the rules of Foursquare? So it was probably a, a 10 foot by 10 foot square divided into quarters. And one person goes in each square and they're numbered. So um, the goal is it's kind of like. The numbered or the squares? Uh well, the the squares are numbered, but um, the goal is to advance to square number one and stay there the longest. So yeah, it, the it's yeah, it's a king of the hill type game, but it's kind of like um, a four person volleyball where you have to like bounce the ball and get it out of that person's square or get them to miss the square altogether. Okay. How so, good, were you good? Yes. I've always been rather athletic, um, played baseball for 19 years, basketball my entire life. Six two in eighth grade. So, could you dunk? And how tall are you now? Six two. <laughs> um, so I'm strong. So, uh, and as you saw earlier, I was dashingly good looking in eighth grade as well. Oh, hold on! <laughs> can, can does everybody have access here, to I the Facebook just, group chat? I can just pull it up. Right, yeah, it's over here. Yeah, but the audience doesn't. Who are we playing? For? We'll push. No, we'll, no, no, believe me, believe me, Finch. <laughs> Oh, shit. That is eighth grade. Rico. Hey, Rob. Wow, you could have been in a boy band. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. What does, it Just, look, what does it look more like? Does it look more like uh, the friend? Uh, what did I say? The friend in an after school special. Friend, oh, the friend who doesn't do drugs in the after school special or white privilege. <laughs> no, he looks like the grown up version of that wizard who had the. Your mic is cut now. I think it's your cord. The wizard that what, Dan? The wizard. <laughs> like that that uh that movie with Fred Savage and. Oh, the like Wiz. The, like, like that. No, the, the, the one with the power the glove. The wizard. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, where he plays video games. It was the introduction to Super Mario Three. Yeah. But the movie that w that was an hour and a half introduction or commercial for a video game that wasn't released yet. Yeah, with the autistic kid plays really good video games. Yes. And has a dinosaur lunchbox or whatever. Okay, so bar has four square. Does anybody else have their recess game to put to Mount Rushmore? Rob, what were some black school recess games? <laughs> Beat up that's Whitey. Funny because, that's funny because like we had the four square set up at my school, but none of the like black lunchtime supervisors or attendants knew how to play that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, they just had the the window painted on the concrete. Yeah. Said, just walked over it. Like, we didn't know what the hell that was. So I, uh, uh, my, I guess my my favorite recess game was smell my finger. Uh, we didn't know what the hell any of it. By the way, we also that was so when he says the that was white privilege. 
<laughs> also, uh, for the record, those are silk corduroy black dress pants. Oh, a uh, black studded belt from Hot Topic and a black silk shirt with stars on it. It came with the new kids on the block cassette. It did. <laughs> so right now, our Mount Rushmore looks like we have a carving of a of like a square a with a with a with a ball kind of on top. And then we have Rob's finger um, <laughs> with stink lines carved out of it. Um, Dan. Uh, I don't know how you'd put this out on Mount Rushmore, but uh, I, I would pick bullying the weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm kind of leaning into this. You guys aren't going to pick actual. Now Mark's going to look like an idiot, so I think we all now. Finch, you and I have to not pick an actual Reese's game as well, so his carving just looks fucking dumb. So wait, oh, yeah, bullying, no, definitely... Dan, please go into the rules of your game. And, and Rob, did you have the black version at your school? Uh, well, with with bullying the weird kid, the rule just don't let the teacher see. And if he cries, then we get him worse tomorrow. <laughs> I think Dave's now entered that point where he's drank too much because he said that was just... some menace in his voice. <laughs> <laughs> like he did this shit Which yesterday. One were you, Dan, were you the bully or the weird? He kid? was the teacher. He that sounds like participated. <laughs> no, hold on. He either sounds like the bully who's longing back for those days, or the weird kid who's ready to get his fucking revenge. Has a list so of this. I moved to. I, I lived in Iowa up till eighth grade, and then I moved. So until eighth grade, I was the bullied kid, and then after that, I became the bully because I got to completely reinvent who I was. Ah, uh, the new guy. Yes. <laughs> uh, the DJ Qualls movie. Yeah. Exactly. Hilarious movie. Finch? I love that movie. That's a great movie. Uh, mine is definitely fights. Uh, where everybody stands in a circle and two people have come out into the middle uh, and then just it's a slug fest uh, nine times out of ten a hundred punches thrown three landed um, I guess I'm the only one that went somebody- to private school all right <laughs> hold on I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give everybody's um, carving and then I'm gonna give mine after that so right now we have Mark's square with a with a ball in there and it's numbered of course <laughs> um, and then we have Rob's finger with the stake lines then we have uh, I imagine just a sculpture of Dan's face with his eyes kind of open uh, plotting you can see his plotting revenge uh, and then we have uh, Finch's fist and uh, I'm gonna say my favorite recess game is um uh, white kids uh, shoots the school up. So. Oh, Jesus Christ, oh, man. God. How was yours darker than all bars that had beat up kids? <laughs> That's what happens when you have a transgender son. All right, let's give our social media out. So uh, let's start with Rob. Where can people find you when they want, if they want to keep up with you? Um, nowhere. All right. <laughs> Good job. I'll say to myself. <laughs> Minnesota <laughs> nice. Just answer the history of that question. Where can we find it? Nowhere. <laughs> All right. I, I was thinking about my old comedy line, like, because everybody had merchandise to sell and I never served, so, sold merchandise. And I was like, you know, so-and-so will be selling T-shirts outside in the lobby. This person would be selling this. bumper stickers. Outside, I'll be out on the corner selling ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I loved about that? I loved that at the time is you would think a lot of comics would go selling crack or selling weed. Rob, you do are going to buy it. It's like, no, that dude sells ass. His drink matches his shirt. Um, Dan, I think you're on the grid. So why don't you give people your social media? 
Uh, yeah, you can catch me on all social media. It's Dan West Comedy. Uh, DanWestComedy.com. I've just released my album uh, last month, and I would like to be able to get a new pair of glasses, so please buy it. Uh, uh, or if you want to stream it for free on iTunes, <laughs> you'll get six cents. Yeah, uh, it's on Spotify too, but that won't get me the fancy anti-reflective <laughs> shit. I'll set up a Spotify server for you. Six, six <laughs> plays, 24 and hours. Honestly, if you guys buy enough albums, we can get them into rehab. Um, <laughs> or another bottle. On me, Brad Scott. <laughs> so, Dan West Comedy. Um, Finch, where can people find you at? Uh, at Funny Guy Finch. Uh, I don't have a website because I'm not nearly as cool as Dan is. Um, but I, I've just started some social media, so I don't have a whole lot in there. Well, hold on. is the website a thing still? Like, I don't feel like a website is a, is a necessity like it was a few years ago because, I mean. No, it's not. How often do you go to a website nowadays? Like, but The only reason I have the website is selling the album, write a blog specifically to keep people looking at the website. Yep. Mark? Like, it's, it's I think it's difficult essential. to sell an album on Instagram. Not saying yeah. you can't do it, but it's difficult. Yeah. You know it's not difficult selling on Instagram, Rob? Ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go to you, Finch. Uh, I was setting Rob up for that. But uh, Mark, give it a shot. Uh, at Iltree everywhere, uh, except for Instagram. I don't post pictures, so. <laughs> okay. All right. You can find me at Brad Scott Comedy on all platforms. And then uh, also follow DIY Jokers. We launched our official merch store recently. DIY Jokers is a comedy collective uh, slash consultation company started by myself, Brent Terhune, and Indianapolis comic, and Dave Landau, who is a comic out of Detroit, who co-hosts the Anthony Cumia show in New York. What we do is we tell you what's wrong with your comedy. If you're a comedian starting out, we'll give you some insight into how to you know, really approach the business and get ahead faster. If you're a struggling venue, not wondering, you know, wondering why your shows aren't performing well, uh, between our 60 years of experience, we can come in there and figure that out for you. So you can go to DIYjokers at gmail.com to request services, and you can check out the merch at teespring.com slash stores slash DIYjokers right now until the end of the month. So that would be the next three days. Uh, we're going to take everything that we have made profit-wise from Teespring, and we're donating it to the staff of Helium Comedy Club. Are you releasing this before the end of the month? <laughs> That's what I was curious. If we're releasing <laughs> yeah, it tonight. Yeah, like a day or two. Yeah, it won't be long. Okay. Uh, but yeah, if you caught this before so we released it, so we donated it. If you buy within the next six hours, uh, <laughs> it was mainly, you know what, Dan? It was mainly just so we could plug how noble of a thing we're doing about giving away the profits that we didn't have <laughs> to invest any money in the first place. Us. To a club that just won't book me. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, that's the show. Uh, fellas, well done. We made it. Um, I, I felt good about this because I was I was terrified once Rob left the, the show, but he came back. Uh, we're all here to stay. And if you didn't think this podcast was funny, remember, comedy is subjective.